So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These. <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. Uh, anything. Nailed it. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my prior? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. Yeah. <laughs> you better hear first. We're going <laughs> to Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Once again, I'm Jamie and joining me today, fresh off the launch of his incredible debut novel, is author and editor Kasim Ali. Hi, Kasim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. How are you doing? How's it all going? Uh, it's going good today. It's going good today. Good today. Although, <laughs> um, well, yeah, sometimes it's not so good, right? Storm, <laughs> Storm Eunice taught us that over the weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, to tell you an incredibly stupid story about my commute into the office today, um, I had to wait for three tubes until I got onto one. And then when I got onto the tube, a small child, roughly the size of, like, I want to say maybe she was 11, shoved herself between my legs to get onto oh. the tube after me. And I thought, I think this is a crime, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not participating in it. And I was also wearing a cap on my head. And the man in front of me was also wearing a cap on his head. And the front of our caps kept hitting as oh, the tube moved. Um, it's just so that's... awkward, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and we kept we kept making eye contact, and I thought I thought to myself, "Please don't think that this is I'm like trying to flirt with you." Cause I promise, <laughs> like this is this is this is not what I'm doing, man. <laughs> okay, well, well, excellent. I'm glad that your day started off bizarrely, um, <laughs> but you seem to be soldier- soldiering on. Let's kick off with the book good intentions for, for me and, and everyone listening do you want to straight from the author's mouth m- mouse straight from the author's mouth uh tell us about good intentions your debut novel yeah absolutely um sure so it is i have to work on my pitch i have to make this better i think <laughs> um it is about noor who is a pakistani muslim boy and he meets Yasmina, a Sudanese Muslim girl at university, and they sort of hit it off and fall in love. Um, and it's all it's all nice. It's all fun and games. It's all beautiful. And then it gets to a point where their relationship becomes quite serious. And so she introduces him to her parents and they sort of love him and they're very much happy with the two of them being together. But when it comes to him introducing Yasmina to his parents, uh, he doesn't because he believes that they are anti-black. Um, and so that is essentially the draw of the book, the problem of the book, if you, if you wanted to describe it that way. Um, and it's, it's about exploring those, that sort of very intimate relationship between Noor and Yasmina and how does she feel about being kept a secret for four years until he does tell his parents, how do his parents react to it? And, you know, is Noor a good person for doing what essentially was like hiding his girlfriend for four years? Yes, it is a... And you investigate that question very well and very deeply. And there is, um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but the resolution is, um, it's it's successful, I will say, without giving anything away. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what was so refreshing about this book, which you don't really mention in the pitch there, which makes sense, is um, reading this book, and it's something that I don't sort of, I haven't really noticed until it's it's kind of right in my face is having a vulnerable male protagonist with feelings and flaws that makes mistakes and is insecure and i just found it so 
it's so rare a lot of the time in in literature and TV and film. Yeah, I I <clears throat> you're not the you're not the first person to say this and I I it's really interesting because when I was writing it, I don't think I was writing it with any kind of intention in mind. I wasn't writing it to be like I'm going to write about a vulnerable male protagonist or I'm going to write about X topic or X issue in my community. I just was thinking I want to write about an interracial romance that doesn't involve a white person because I had so often seen those stories told and I wanted to write about someone like me. That's literally all that I wanted to do. Um, And it's kind of in going back that I realised in writing about someone like me, I wrote about someone who isn't shown on in in films and tv shows in books um which is this kind of open-hearted very vulnerable very open with his emotions kind of man but like never kind of at ease with that within himself like it's never a question of like am i a man for showing these emotions am i a man for being upset or sad or conflicted or yeah. or have anxiety or or any of those kinds of like the the side of emotions that i think we don't often attribute to men um, yeah, and also with all stories, characters make bad decisions. That's how, that's what moves the plot forward. But it's you justify the bad decisions with you know this is the insecurity or the anxiety that caused that, and we just often don't see that in stories about men. Yeah, and and I, I won't lie to you. Like I am an overthinker. <laughs> I do it all the time. Uh, like like today, I'm bumping my cap against this guy's cap, and, I'm pro- and he's probably just thinking, "Oh, how annoying!" And I'm thinking, "Please don't think I'm like flirting with you, or or like being weird, or like uh, trying to steal something from your pocket." I'm so sorry. Um, and I've always kind of been that person where I'm just overthinking about kind of everything, and it's it is it is hard to deal with sometimes because you shouldn't be overthinking so often. But it is a it's a fundamental aspect of my reality, and you know I've. I've got many female friends who, you know, will have really open conversations about it, but I've never really had a man speak to me like that um, mm. in that kind of, you know, telling me that they also overthink. And But then I know that people do overthink because I'm a dude who overthinks. <laughs> and um, working in publishing, like, you know, whenever I talk to men in publishing, like it's, it's they also kind of, they they it feels like they have a very similar personality to me but it's like it's so interesting that they won't confess to yeah that overthinking part of their lives um and i just i just really like reading it back i i sort of realized that that is kind of what i was without thinking about it i was writing like a i don't want to say new male protagonist because that's such a <laughs> arrogant thing to say but like yeah. a, a different kind of male protagonist to the ones that i've been reading i think it's just it's it's almost an honesty because you you said that you wrote it as it's almost a reflection of you and just kind of the character that you wanted to make but i i found it so relatable as well and i'm sure that our life experiences is wildly different but i too overthink things you know if i if i was in that situation with the caps and the child between my legs i would also be probably panicking and be like oh my god someone's going to call the police and I'm, it's all going to go wrong <laughs> they're going to stop the train and i'm going to be arrested you know uh, it's so relatable on on so many levels and probably not just for men i think it's just the character itself is so true and the voice you really nailed it well thank you thank you for saying that um i will never get over people complimenting this book <laughs> makes me feel i'm blushing you can't see me but my my cheeks are red um <laughs> excellent but i'm i'm glad i'm i'm really glad and it's one of the things that people do to talk 
you know, whenever I meet someone who has read the book, like it's one of the things that they talk about, that kind of raw honesty of Noor's character and how glad they are to be able to read a man thinking like that. And, and mm-hmm. you know, just thinking back, like, you know, all, you know, these millennial novels that we've got from female writers, like they have these protagonists who are women and they, the women overthink all the time. And I've always read them and thought, but I do that too. And so why, yeah. why, why, why are they not men doing this? And it's, I mean, it's a hangover from the, the sort of glory cinema days of men don't cry, don't show any emotion or anything. Yeah. Which is stupid because men yeah. do show emotion, but they're just, it's so funny. I saw a tweet. I'm going to mention Twitter now, but I saw a tweet where a woman was saying that she, uh, whenever she's in like a board meeting, if she notices one of like the executives who is a man get angry, she, she'll turn to him and say, Oh, you're getting quite emotional there. Maybe we should give you five minutes to, to calm down. And it's, it's so clearly a joke, but I was like, that's so, that's so funny. But also it's so true is that yeah. we say men are emotional, but actually they are really emotional. Like they just get angry so quickly. <laughs> mm. I kind of think that the, the way that that sort of, that aspect of, I mean, it's toxic masculinity in a way that you, where men over, you know, a long period of the 20th century were told not to be able to show emotion, but the one emotion that was okay for men to show was anger, right? That was the one that was like, yeah, that's a manly emotion. Yeah, you're allowed to be angry and you're even allowed to cry when you're angry because you're so angry you can't control it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't be anything else. Like you can't, don't be too happy. Don't be too joyous. Don't be too excited. Don't be sad. Don't be scared. You just have to just be. And then you can can get angry because angry is like a good emotion or whatever whatever that means um i remember i remember when i was a kid and i um yeah i i'm i'm a very emotional kind of person and i was watching this this bollywood film called devdas and if you haven't seen it i implore you to watch it it's three hours long so it's a bit it's a bit of a <laughs> okay. it's a bit of a long one yeah but um it's this incredibly beautiful emotional film about just a just a man and a woman who are in love and they can't be in love with each other because of certain reasons and really isn't that every story um and I remember getting to the end and crying and my dad walked in and he was like why are you crying and I was like this film is sad like (laughs) you've seen this film and the ending is really sad like I'm crying at the ending of this film and he just couldn't he he just was like you're stupid for crying essentially and I was like my dude maybe yeah. unpack that with your therapist you know <laughs> yeah let also have a seat let me show you all the pixar movies and then we'll see who's crying <laughs> right exactly like oh my god you watch the first five minutes are up and you don't cry you're a psychopath yeah, i'm yeah. sorry like it was inside out that, that had me just like basically dehydrated because of the amount of water that come out of my eyes oh i watched um the, the one with tom holland and chris pratt and oh, they're yeah, like yeah, little yeah, goblin yeah, yeah. people or something mm-hmm. and they're trying to find their dead dad oh that got me that that, that that got me at the end i wasn't really into it and then at the end i this just suddenly hit me like all at once no exactly same experience i was like this is a shit pixar film this is the <laughs> worst one i can't believe i'm watching this and then, and then the last yeah, the last like what 10 minutes the last 10 minutes i'm like yeah. sobbing what how mm-hmm. did that how did they even do it they got they got us good. Okay, let's let's focus. Let's talk more about you, less about Pixar. Um, <laughs> you started out in short stories, yeah. Kind of, yeah. And uh, publishing wise, I mm-hmm. think publishing wise, I I had a short story published in the Good Journal, um, 
which is which was incredible and diana evans picked it which i love her so much um but kind of writing wise like i started off writing books i think um ever since i was 17 i've been writing like two or three books a year which is insane (laughs) i don't have a life jamie is what we're realizing here oh my god so how many books have you written um let's do the math if i started writing when i was 17 (laughs) and i stopped that awful output when i was 25 that's like eight years so what's eight times 2.5 but these are like full length books yeah yeah yeah. so i wrote i wrote um, oh my god you have a hell of a back catalog that no one's ever gonna see (laughs) (laughs) okay okay but that must i mean that's amazing practice i from my own experience and from speaking to other people like a lot of the time they say yeah you have to write a novel to learn how to write a novel and then you have to write the second novel to put the stuff you learned into practice so that you can learn to write the third one so eventually you know 21 novels or whatever and you finally figured it out (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um i i'm quite fond of like sometimes people in like friends of mine will just say you know i want to start writing what is your what is your one piece of advice for me? And I always say, mm. just write. And yeah. I know that sounds really condescending and simplistic, but actually I think sometimes we do too much thinking about writing. We do too much planning or we do too much like, I have to be in the right mood. Like I think there's a lot of Instagram aesthetic around the right desk and the right lamp and the right paper and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, the right latte art. Right? And it's so it's so <laughs> stupid because I'm just like, oh my God, you spent 45 minutes setting this up. Like, just go write something. Like, just sit yeah. down and write. Yeah, um, I, I'm exactly the same position with a, a really good friend of mine um, who is talking about writing and he keeps telling me about these ideas and stuff. I'm looking at you, Matt, if you're listening to this. And uh, it's it, the, the advice of just write is just that it seems like so simple and obvious, but honestly, it's like, just write and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you throw that away. It doesn't matter if that never sees the light of day or if you just, con- you can control A, delete straight away. When you write, it just, you know, awakens something inside you. I find it's good for writer's block as well. In quotes, writer's block, how, whatever that manifests in you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, <sighs> Yeah, I wrote so, so many books and it started off as me just doing it because it was fun. And then I sent Mm. them to my friends and then I started trying to get published and I got rejected like maybe 20 million times or whatever. Um, But (laughs) hey, rejection is like, I'm part of the game. Exactly. And if you're not getting rejected, that means you're not submitting or I don't know, you're David Williams or whatever. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, like I there's just there's just so much you can get from writing Mm -hmm. and i you know i i like to say the thing of like it took me six weeks to write good intentions which is true like i wrote it in this kind of blur of i have to write this book but also it took me eight years to write good intentions because Mm -hmm. i had to learn the skills i had to learn what my voice was i had no idea what my voice was when i first started writing i i wrote YA and YA fantasy and YA sci-fi and YA horror and then I wrote adult sci-fi and adult horror and adult fantasy because that was a lot of what I was reading and it wasn't until I was circa 2022 no we're in 2022 circa 22 um that I started thinking about writing slightly more upmarket slightly more literary stuff and that's when I was like oh my god this makes me this makes my heart sink like this is so fun and I get to write about people like me and that's that's how good intentions came about um uh, so it's yeah my advice would be just write just do it you don't have to show anybody just do it and yeah. it's so much fun mm-hmm. 
I think it's healthy as well, like mentally stimulating and cathartic. Just get your feelings out on a page. Yes, although if you'd asked me, like, if you'd asked me when I was writing Good Intentions, hey, are you doing this to write about yourself? I would be like, what are you talking about? Oh my God, no way. What? He's not me. (laughs) No, I have none of his flaws. (laughs) Absolutely not. What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, amazing. Well, Speaking of, you know, 20 million rejections, uh, which is excellent numbers, um, you are represented by the amazing Juliet Pickering, who I was lucky enough to have on the show previously. How did that relationship come about? Uh, Yeah, so it it was good intentions. I wrote it and I sent it to three agents um, who all rejected it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, they... Because I, because I, I've been down this road before, <laughs> and mm. I had sent a previous book of mine, which oh my god, was a two hundred thousand word, disgustingly long epic, which just <laughs> didn't work and was messy. <laughs> and I sent that out to like every agent I could think of. So for this one, I thought maybe let's not do that. Maybe let's send <laughs> it to three agents who I really admire. And that, I did. That had to and- be fantasy or sci-fi, right? No, it was a what? massive, I'd read A Suitable Boy and I thought, hey, if he can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> that is long. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I, I sent it to three agents and they all rejected me within like, I want to say four days. Like literally wow. I sent those emails out and they were like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, and then I kind of put good intentions away. And then a really good friend of mine uh, who works in publishing Uh, I was just, she just said, what are you writing? And I said, I just finished this thing, but it's been rejected. Um, She read it, told me to send it out again. So I sent it to three more agents. And then those three agents of which Julia is one of them, they all responded to it and said, can I see a full manuscript? Can we meet? Um, And I, at that point had, I hadn't told Julia that I worked in at Penguin because I, I'm terrified of people accusing me of nepotism. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't mention it at all. And I'd never worked with Juliet before in my role. So I knew that she, there was no way she'd, be, she'd put Kasim Ali and Kasim Mohammed like together. Um, <laughs> although there is like, I think only one Kasim who works in publishing and it's me. So that's oh, okay. funny. Um, but I just never mentioned it. And so then we met and I, I remember I met her in this restaurant near King's Cross and she was incredible and so warm and funny and charming. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that's that's the person that I want. <laughs> for this book um and it was only after i signed with her that i was like fyi i work at penguin (laughs) (laughs) and then she was like i knew all along (laughs) oh she she did actually say to me she was like i had a feeling because you knew so much about publishing that i thought he either works in it or he knows someone who does (laughs) oh okay 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 that's good it sounds like it was timing in terms of because you when you that initial send out full rejection then and then the second time you sent it out did you say all three of them got back yeah, to you and showed interest all, yeah all three of them did um and i was blown away by it and i think that had happened at the point that i'd been there's like a competition at, at hachette um the hmm. most future prize i think is how i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name but um I'd sent it into that and I'd been shortlisted and it was when I didn't win that competition that I then sent oh. it to these three agents because I was like, I didn't win, but, but I was shortlisted. So yeah. question mark, you in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that just shows you how much zeitgeist and just like luck is in terms of like right place, right time. The submission process is the fact that you just didn't get any interest on the first round. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've had I've had two of those agents who rejected me. They received a copy of the book from my publisher who didn't know that these agents had rejected me. And they've now <laughs> uh, tweeted saying, what an incredible book. And I don't know if they remember reading it. I don't know if they remember getting it. And I obviously haven't told them, but I've mm. seen this and just been like, you could have had it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, in defense of agents, they might have had something which was similar with a different author. Oh, you know, God, yeah. yeah. Story or, or characters or whatever had just sold something similar or had like a thousand submissions that week. So (laughs) they just had to reject some of them. Like, yeah, I'm completely like they get, they get so many. I don't know how anyone in this industry does their jobs. I just, (laughs) well, you're in this industry. I am. And I don't know how I do my job. So, (laughs) Okay. Okay, Well, speaking of your job, uh, your, your publishing experience, Penguin, Random House, uh, you're in editorial, um, over there so what is the role how does that translate to your day-to-day so i work as an assistant editor at Mm -hmm. delray which is penguins like science fiction and fantasy imprint yeah um so i've come full circle (laughs) (laughs) in terms of my book journey if you will um so i'm an assistant editor and essentially there is a director at Delray and she acquires all the books um and she edits them and I am essentially just assisting her in her job so okay I um assisting her kind of makes it sound like I'm like doing her calendar it's actually not that <laughs> it's it's more like making sure that you know the books are going to print on time uh looking at covers reading submissions for her checking boring things like is it feeding out to Amazon properly all that okay. kind of stuff that like yeah, yeah really takes over my whole day like my day is just emails and checking stuff um but i've i've been in i've been in the role for like two years now and we're kind of uh i i get to edit some books every so often but oh what a treat I, it is except it's a lot of it's a lot of time so i have hmm. been honest with them about like hey i have my own book coming out so let's put the <laughs> career progression on, on pause at the moment <laughs> okay okay fair, fair, fair. It's, it's yeah it's an interesting job it's an interesting job and when you say you read submissions these are the, these are the this is the next level of submissions where it's the agents submitting to uh, publishers right yeah so we get submissions from all over the place um because we are the only science fiction fantasy place at penguin the only mm. dedicated one i think there are other places at penguin that do an sff book every so often yeah but because we're the only dedicated imprint we get submissions from all the agents in the UK, but also all of the agents slash rights people in America, which is obviously a massive market. Yeah. So we get loads of submissions from them. So currently in my inbox, I think I have circa 40 submissions to read and my boss has about 250. Yeah. So she's... (laughs) Um, and so I have to essentially, she will send them to me as they come in and I will read them as fast as I can. Um, but it's quite, it's quite a lot of work. And also you have to give each book its, you have to give each book its space because I know Mm -hmm. as an author, how long it can take to write it, how much editing you do with your agent and how much it means to you just on a very personal, intimate level. So I try to give each book its space and, you know, if we're rejecting them, which we have to reject quite a lot of them because we just don't have the space to publish them. I'm thinking about giving, you know, really detailed feedback so that I can, I can very much just, so the agent has something to go to the author with rather than just saying they said no. Yeah. And, and, and so you're informing the agents 
kind of as to what you need as well to add to the list at the publishing house? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for example, if we get Del Rey doesn't really do hard sci-fi, so it's Mm -hmm. not doing, you know, stuff like Children of Time, for example. So if we get submissions like that, um, they tend, we do read them just in case, like it might be really good and it might fit our market, but we do often go back to those agents and say, look, this just isn't the right fit for Del Rey. We're a bit more commercial. We're a bit more accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, We're on that side of things rather than really hard sci-fi that appeals to a more male audience. Um, And we're also constantly just having like calls with agents, especially here in the UK, because we we're very mindful of the fact that our list is quite American. So we want to get a lot of British authors like submitting to us. Um, and so we're having calls with the UK authors quite a lot and talking about this is what we would like to do and this is what our publishing looks like and this is the gap we have, so to speak. Right. Okay, okay, okay. And it it must be a bit different to when agents are looking at submissions that they're obviously looking for, you know, a spark or, or like kind of that X factor. But when you're looking at submissions on the publishing side, do you have to really put on your sort of marketing hat and the business hat and say, where does this fit? How do we sell this? Well, so personally, I uh, it's, it's, <laughs> for me, it's a no. <laughs> for, <laughs> for me, it's 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 about that spark. I have to like okay. the book. I have to I have to like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for others, like so, me and my my boss, we are very much about good writing first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So. For example, we had this, we had this very, I'm laughing because it sounds insane. We had this very, very literary book come to us last year and it was about octopuses or octopi (laughs) gaining sentience and killing, killing humans. And that sounds like a schlocky uh, Guillermo del Toro Hellboy-esque B movie on Netflix, but actually it was written, it was written in this like beautiful way. Like it was such a beautiful film. Uh, film book and uh, the writing was very evocative and the characters were just so good but it was too small for us like we didn't like it was the kind of book that needs to go on a smaller imprint and then that was when the market came into it and that was when our audience came into it and we both loved it so much but we had to let it go um i have no idea if anybody in the uk even bought it actually so that's sad but um so we we we're always looking for good writing first. We have to be drawn in because this is a book that we're going to spend the next two years with, and we're going to publish and market it. And you know, we often buy you know two book deals with authors, so it's about sustaining a person's career. But yeah. after that point, if we read something and we're like, okay, this has grabbed my attention, it's interesting, it's good, then we have to think about the market. And then the sad the saddest part of my job is finding a book that I love but yeah. not being able to publish it either because of time or audience, or some some other stupid factor that just gets in the way of it. Well, presumably, just like with the agents, overlap with a book that you that you know that you're already publishing, or someone's publishing in one of the Penguin houses. Yeah, kind of, but also, also it's kind of like looking at our own publishing schedules. Like, right, if we've got a really big book coming out in, say, September. And we know that all of our resources are going to go to this really big book in September. We mm-hmm. don't have a big book in September. That's just me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just using it as an example. Sure. Um, Wink. <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to have a similarly sized big book in October. Right. So right. then we might have to say no, because if the U S is publishing in October, we would like to publish on the same date because it makes things easier. So we'd have to say no then, but also if we're publishing, 
a really big book in September. Again, there's no big book in September. Um, we wouldn't want to publish a really small book in September because that, to me, would jeopardize that author's career. Because yeah. if or, if we're spending all our time talking about big book, then mm-hmm. the small book just kind of gets published and nothing happens to it. So it's Gosh. it's those considerations. And then also there's, there's just like, you know, what is the Delray audience? What does our audience expect from us? The people who follow us on Twitter, the bloggers who are interested in our books, are they going to be interested in a super literary book about octopi gaining sentience? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Adrian Tchaikovsky did it with spiders, so it could work. He did. That was my main comp when I was trying to get it published. I was like, oh my God, but the spider book. And they were like, no, we're not going to do it. Stop telling us this octopus kills people. Stop trying to make octopi happen. Stop trying to make octopi happen. (laughs) Um, Well, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's a great little insight into, you know, if it's something that we're always talking about, the publishing is so much zeitgeist timing and just like the right place at the right time even if it's a great book sometimes it's just not the right time um but going back a bit to your writing so you you when occasionally you are lucky enough to edit some things at penguin uh was it strange for you with your own book going through that same process over at fourth estate oh absolutely absolutely (laughs) i it's so interesting. And I think actually every editor should write a book and then have that book edited by someone else because it taught <laughs> me so much about like just how to be more sensitive about an author's um, emotions, really, because mm. it's it can be quite hard. Like I just had a meeting with my editor and my um, I was I was acquired by Helen Gonans Williams, but then she left to join Penguin, ironically. And so <laughs> I have another editor, but I just had a meeting with her where she said that I'm like one of the easiest authors she's worked with. And I was like, it's still her. <laughs> like I might have been really open to the edits and worked really, really well with you on them. And, and, and it worked out into a much better book, but it was still, it was still quite hurtful for somebody to go in and say, yeah. okay, cut this whole character, move this chapter around. This sentence doesn't really work, you know, cause you're like, oh, wow, I thought it did. Um, so it's it's taught me a lot about being more sensitive to authors when I am editing, but it's also taught me a lot about how to edit. Like I learned a lot from the three editors that I had, two in the UK and one in the US, because they're all so incredible and it's made me a much better editor. Um, so yeah, I think I think every editor should find the time to go write a book in six weeks <laughs> and sell it to fourth estates. <laughs> it's just that easy, guys. <laughs> it's so simple. It's so simple. Um, just write, just write. I don't know why everyone's complaining about writing. Just write. Uh, <laughs> Stop saying you're going to do it. Stop making coffee and just write. Oh God. If I, I could tell you so many stories about people who have come up to me after my book deal and been like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just wrote a book. Um, <laughs> just wrote. That's it. Shrug. That's what I did. It's, it's hard to be this talented, you know? <laughs> uh, no, but that's, that, again, it's, um, it's one of those things I imagine editing where you've, you've been sitting on one side of it. And then suddenly when the other, when you're on the other side, you realize so many things about it, sort of an awakening. And you realize probably how many authors you've had up at night eating ice cream, crying over your edit. Yes. Yeah. My God. And also like the thing that I found the most difficult is a lot of people said to me, like, because you work in publishing, it'll be easier for you to go through this journey because you know, 
what's coming, but actually it's been much harder to go through this journey because I know what's coming. So if I don't get certain things and I see other authors that I'm working on or authors just around me in, in Penguin getting those things, I'm like, oh, okay, so I didn't get it, but they did. It's actually, <laughs> it's quite hard to sit there and be like, okay, so X also was on this list, but I wasn't, how dare they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely, I've spoken to people and there is, uh, for some people, there is an ignorance is bliss kind of thing with publishing where they felt so free when they wrote their first book and then went through the whole process. And with their second book, they suddenly, when you know how it all works, how all the pieces fit together, it's not quite as free. They don't don't feel like they have that same creative space. Yeah. I thankfully wrote my second book before we sold the first one because (laughs) I just write, I just write. You just write. And (laughs) so I haven't had that issue, but actually when I go to write my third one, I think I am going to have that issue. I think I'm mm. going to be like, what are what what is someone going to want if they read book one and book two? Like, are they going to want this kind of thing? And there's a lot of that questioning. And then I think people also also can also get wrapped up in like, what does the market want? Yeah. Like, what do readers want? What is yeah, flying yeah. right now? But then the really hard thing about that is a book takes 18 months to be published. Yeah. What a what a reader wants right now is not going to be what they want in 18 months. You yeah, know, it's yeah, yeah. it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's funny is the people that the people that I've found who who cope best with uh, the industry and are the journalists. I've had a few on the podcast where journalists move into uh, publishing and they, and they're so good at hitting deadlines and working with editors. They just don't even bat an eyelid. Just absolutely rock hard. <laughs> <laughs> I envy them for that because. I am, but it's because you know journalism is intense and sometimes like abusive when it comes to the editorial. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't envy them, um, <laughs> but they do have a skill that I find I find myself being envious at because I I haven't missed a deadline yet, but I think mm-hmm. I'm about to miss one, and oh. <laughs> it's making me it's making me sad. I feel like I've let people down. I haven't even missed it yet. But I've still got that feeling in me where I'm like, I'm letting my whole team down. What's wrong with me? Oh, sure. But that's, you know, that's real. We all feel that. We all, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone in that feeling. Um, amazing. Well, that's great. I mean, I was going to ask you what advice you would give to people aspiring writing, but I think we all know what the advice is. Just write. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's say it together one more time. Just, Just write. write. <laughs> It's going to be on your gravestone. Kasim Ali, just write. <laughs> yeah, stop looking at my gravestone. Go write. Yeah, just write. Um, amazing. Well, that brings us to the final uh, question of the interview, uh, which often daunts people. Let's see how you do. Uh, if, Kasim, you were stranded on a desert island with one book, which book would it be? So here's the thing. I pretended in our pre-podcast chat that i didn't know what i was going to say i was lying to you that was oh, me acting yeah wow. i'm ready to take leonardo so DiCaprio's oscar um <laughs> it's actually the the book that i would bring is the incarnations by susan barker right okay let me hear you with it because i don't think people have heard of this book and that drives me insane because it's so good but mm-hmm. i also only just read it <laughs> okay <laughs> so it was published in 2014 by Transworld, I think, here in Britain. Mm-hmm. And it's written by a woman called Susan Barker, who's had two books out before. 
And she went to, I believe she moved to China to study the history of China to, to write this book. And it's essentially, there was a man in Beijing, I believe, and he's a taxi driver. And one day he finds a letter in his taxi and it's from somebody who's purporting to be his soulmate and they've lived together in six previous lives. And this person is his biographer and is here to tell him about all these lives and then basically reunite with him. So obviously this taxi driver is like, this person is insane. <laughs> and he doesn't believe the letter. But then more letters come. And the next letter details that first life that they lived together way back when. And you kind of get each life told throughout the book and it charts Chinese history. Wow. And it's beautifully written, like fascinating to learn about a side of the world that I'd never encountered before. And hmm. Susan Barker's writing is so immediate, so evocative, like just blew me away. Um, but you also learn about this man's life as it stands and like his history with his family and mental health and who he is and finding himself. And essentially those two timelines essentially come together. And when they come together, they do in the most awe-inspiring, goosebumpy way I've ever had a book come together like that. Like I, I finished it at, I want to say like one thirty in the morning on like a Thursday night or something stupid like that. And I <laughs> yeah. couldn't stop myself from reading. And I, I, a friend of mine had been telling me to read this book for like years. And so I sent her this message and I just said, I can't, I just finished it. And I, I need to talk to someone about it and you're probably <laughs> asleep. And I just wrote this long message to her detailing everything that happened. And I woke up in the morning the next day to her having replied being like, I can't believe you were up at one thirty in the morning reading this, but it is such an incredible book. And I think it's one of those books that I would want to read like maybe 20 more times because there's so much in it. And I think I would get something different from it every time I read it. I'm obsessed with it. I keep telling people about it. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a hell of a pitch. You pitched that book. Uh, I think you possibly pitched that book better than you pitched your own book. But <laughs> <laughs> If anyone wants to take anything from this podcast, go buy Susan Barker's The Incarnations. It's incredible. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm sold. I'm straight on my to-be-read list. Probably the top because that's how my to-be-read list works. Everything goes straight to the top. Um, <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Kasim, for coming on and uh, sharing your experiences and experiences and telling us about the book and your work in, in publishing. It's been a real treat chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's I love talking about this stuff. The intersection of author and publishing. It's all I am, Jamie. I don't have anything else going on in my life. Yeah, because you're writing books every year. So yeah, easy, easy peasy. <laughs> Just, Just right. Just right. <laughs> um, for everyone listening, if you want to keep up with everything that Kasim is doing, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at just Kasim, but there's no T, so it's at J U S K A S I M, because just was just Kasim was taken. Am I right? Just Kasim was okay. taken. So <laughs> this is my identity now, forever and always. <laughs> uh, and to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK and on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Good Intentions is out now. So what are you waiting for? The episode's over. Go get it. <laughs> we'll catch you on the next one.